0: Hey there, it's time once again for Transformation Radio. When my hope and strength is gone, you're the one who calls me on. You are the life, you are the fight that's in my soul. Oh, Your resurrection power burns like fire in my heart. When waters rise, I lift my eyes up to Your throne. We are.
1: Begin our reading in the New Testament. Our narrative today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 5 through 21. And here Paul tells us that he belonged to the tribe of Benjamin, a heritage greatly esteemed among the Jews. Now, from this tribe had come Israel's first king. The tribes of Benjamin and Judah were the only two tribes to return to Israel after the exile. Paul was also a Pharisee, a member of a very devout Jewish sect that scrupulously kept its own numerous rules in addition to the laws of Moses. Paul explains for these mostly Gentile believers that his Jewish credentials were in fact impeccable. Now why had Paul, a devout Jewish leader, persecuted the church? Agreeing with the leaders of the religious establishment, Paul had thought that Christianity was heretical and blasphemous because Jesus did not meet his expectations of what the Messiah would be like. Paul had assumed that Jesus' claims were false, and therefore wicked. In addition, he had seen Christianity as a political menace because it threatened to disrupt the fragile harmony between the Jews and the Roman government. Now, when Paul speaks of these things, he's referring to his credentials, his credits, and successes. After showing that he could beat the Judaizers at their own game, that is, uh, being proud of who they were and you know what they had done, Paul showed that it was just all the wrong game. Be careful of considering past achievements so important that they get in the way of your relationship with Christ. Now, after Paul considered everything he'd accomplished in his life, he decided to write it all off as worthless when compared with the greatness of knowing Christ. We should value our relationship with Christ as more important than anything else. He is going to prepare a place for us. He's taking us to heaven with Him. There could be no other more important relationship. To know Christ should be our ultimate goal. Yet, how do we know Him better? Well, there are three ways I can think of. Number one, study the uh, the life of Christ in the gospel. See how Christ lived and responded to people around Him. Number two, study all the New Testament references to Christ. And number three, as you worship and pray, let the Holy Spirit remind you of Christ's words. Oh, yeah, there's one more. Let me add one more. Four take up Christ's mission to preach the gospel and learn from his sufferings. All right, now let's begin our reading today, here in the New Testament. October 2nd, the New Testament. Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 21. I, Paul, was circumcised when I was eight years old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, Pattern your lives after mine, and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power with which He will bring everything under His control. Our reading today from the book of Psalms is Psalm chapter 74, verses 1 through 23. God's anger against Israel had grown hot during the many years of their sin and idolatry. His patience endured for generations, but at last it was set aside for judgment. If you fall into sin, but quickly seek God's forgiveness, His mercy may come quickly and His anger may leave quickly. But if you persist in sinning against Him, don't be surprised when His patience runs out. When enemy armies defeated Israel, they sacked and burned Jerusalem, trying to wipe out every trace of God. Now, this has often been the response of people who hate God. Today, many are trying to eliminate God from our public life, and particularly from our schools. Do what you can to maintain a Christian influence, but uh, don't become discouraged when others appear to make great strides in removing all traces of God. He will not be removed. <laughs> They cannot eliminate His presence among believers. I will also read that from our perspective, God sometimes seems slow to intervene on our behalf. But what might appear slow to us is really good timing from God's perspective. It's easy to become impatient while waiting for God to act. But we must never give up on Him. When God is silent and you're in deep anguish, follow the method in this psalm. Review the great acts of God throughout biblical history, and then review what He's already done for you. And this will remind you that God is at work, not only in history, but also in your life today. Psalm 74, verses 1 through 23, the Psalm of Asaph. O God, why have you rejected us so long? Why is your anger so intense against the sheep of your own pasture? Remember that we are the people you chose long ago, the tribe you redeemed as your own special possession. And remember Jerusalem, your home here on earth. Walk through the awful ruins of the city. See how the enemy has destroyed your sanctuary. There your enemies shouted their victorious battle cries. There they set up their battle standards. They swung their axes like woodcutters in a forest. With axes and picks, they smashed the carved paneling. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the place that bears your name. Then they thought, let's destroy everything. So they burned down all the places where God was worshipped. We no longer see your miraculous signs. All the prophets are gone, and no one can tell us when it will end. How long, O God! Will you allow our enemies to insult you? Will you let them dishonor your name forever? Why do you hold back your strong right hand, unleash your powerful fist, and destroy them? You, O God, are my king from ages past, bringing salvation to the earth. You split the sea by your strength and smashed the heads of the sea monsters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan, and let the desert animals eat him. You caused the springs and streams to gush forth, and you dried up rivers that never run dry. Both day and night belong to you. You made the starlight and the sun. You set the boundaries of the earth, and you made both summer and winter. See how these enemies insult you, Lord. A foolish nation has dishonored your name. Don't let these wild beasts destroy your turtle doves. Don't forget your suffering people forever. Remember your covenant promises, for the land is full of darkness and violence. Don't let the downtrodden be humiliated again. Instead, let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how these fools insult you all day long. Don't overlook what your enemies have said, or their growing uproar. Proverbs 24, verses 15 and 16 Don't wait in ambush at the home of the godly, and don't raid the house where the godly live. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked.
0: Never been st- This network, in association with the Refuge Ministries, presents one of the forty principles of the foundation for achievement.
2: John, this next principle is powerful the self government principle of parameters. A king rejoices in servants who know what they are doing, he is angry with those who cause trouble. Proverbs 14. Verse
3: thirty-five. Oh yes, I remembered uh, out of necessity. I discovered this. You know, it's just uh, in business, you, you you're forced to think, you're forced to do some things, not something that you've learned, that you're in the process of learning, but it's just because of need. And I find out that work or business does help you to grow because you just dis- you discover through doing. And that's a positive, a, a positive way of growing. So if you take the challenge and step into it and by faith to <laughs> do certain things, then you'll see needs, and then you'll develop something. And that's this is where this came from. Yeah, this is where I discovered it.
2: Trespassing that means to go beyond the limits of what is morally correct or to transgress. It means to intrude beyond the pre-established parameters. Interestingly enough, our Lord said that we should pray. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Since trespassing means going beyond the limits, then there are parameters or boundaries to live by.
3: That's absolutely true. Jesus would have not said that, uh, and he would not talk about trespassers if he didn't understand rules and laws, Mm -hmm. because he knew what it was to break a rule, and and if you break a rule, you are trespassing. You're going across the border, or you're in... I was dealing with a property in uh, one of the buildings uh, with and encroach it encroached into uh, someone else's property so that's what it means it means it trespasses it means it it borders across the line and there were pre-established rules for that and uh, and that that has to be Jesus even said mm-hmm. that so life has principles and regulations that work and that, and if you trespass against them or people and so it's not just the rule of God it's also between people.
2: If the boundaries are not clearly marked, we may trespass and not even know it. So, as the proverb states, a king rejoices in his servants who know what they are doing. That means the king had a purpose and a job description with parameters for his servants, so they knew what to do to please him
3: that 's right you can 't please anybody unless you know how to please them, and you can 't discover that unless they have parameters unless the king really establishes or the businessman really establishes for the employees in him this is what we should be doing, this is how much we should be getting, and this is how what I mean. the whole program should be. So it's expectations. Sometimes they're not absolute laws, but they are parameters. There's a difference between an absolute law or parameters. A parameter is something that is an, a pre-established goal that you say, we should be able to do this. It's not a law. If you break it, it just means that
0: mm-hmm.
3: it measures you. It gives you a measuring point. And, and you cannot please the king. That's what it was saying. You cannot please the king unless you had those rules.
2: Without knowing the king's will or purpose, it cannot become our will or purpose. If the king or the company does not give us specific company policies with clear job descriptions and goals, employees cannot measure their performance. We can only measure that which is expected. A king rejoices when servants know what they are doing. That's right. We can
3: only measure that which is expected. Now, everybody should... Hear that loud and clear, that should be a sentence you should have. Because only things that you put expectations to can be measured. So if you want to play in the game of life then then and, and have people being productive, you have to give expectations because you cannot measure it unless there are expectations.
2: Servants can only please the king if the king is clear with his expectations. So before we can have expectations, we must set our goals with parameters for the game. This will give us a clear vision of what to do and the freedom to work within a pre-structured parameter.
3: That's right. That means that you can actually function and please the king and know that you're doing well and you don't have to guess whether the king likes you or not. Mm -hmm. You'll know that the boss will like you because you meet the goals, meet the expectations and the parameters within the parameters and so you know now you're satisfactory in, in your job.
2: If we expect people to treat us fairly, we must first be fair ourselves. To do this, we must have proper parameters and boundaries established for those around us. Our kids will not enjoy obeying us without knowing our rules and our purpose. This makes them a part of the game. We cannot discipline anyone based on what we think they should have known, or they will feel like slaves. That's right. No one can enjoy performing without knowing what to expect or what is expected.
3: That really is true. If you don't do that, you become slaves. And what brings frustrations in, in employees is if, if you try to chew them out or discipline for something that they had no clear expectations, that brings anger. The Bible says the law of work is wrath. And, uh, and when those when, when, when that rises up into employees, because they will judge you immediately saying, you're unfair, you're trying to hold me accountable for not giving me goals and parameters as to what I'm supposed to do. How would I know mm-hmm. what to do?
2: When performance is measured by expectations and both parties understand the purpose of the goal, work turns into a game.
3: Ah, and I like that. Work turns into a game. That's the key.
2: It will be us rather than them. It will be a company, employee, team. There are certain areas of our lives that may appear gray, but for the most part, people should have no doubt what we stand for and what we expect. This makes us predictable, and the game of guessing and uncertainty is over. God is clear in his expectations of his sons, and he has great rewards for our performance.
3: That's right. How many times have we stopped uh, and asked ourselves, uh, saying like uh, like playing the guessing game, you know, and the reason is because sometimes people have hidden agendas, and you don't know it, and you're not clear on it, you know, and you don't understand it. And so we play a guessing game. Well, I think this is probably the right thing to do. And and sometimes it's the purest people, and they may do something totally wrong that makes the king mad, but they don't know because they, they're they playing a guessing game. And it's our fault if they do. Employ, it's it's our fault if they play a guessing game. They should not have to be responsible for that.
2: The second part of the proverb states that the king is angry with those who cause trouble. We will find that most employees will respect their leadership if companies' goals and purposes are communicated clearly. They may not always agree with us, but they still will respect us. Now, there's a difference there, huh? And I believe that... I,
3: there's a difference between agreeing with us and respecting us. Uh, I find out that in most employees that they may disagree with you on certain things, but if you handle it right and be clear on it and explain it, they'll respect you for it anyhow. It, it, it doesn't mean that they have to always agree with you, but they'll respect you because they know you're the boss and you're in charge.
2: There are a few rebels who oppose everything and everyone.
3: <laughs> yeah, there's a few around.
2: They have no idea what is fair. Fortunately, they're a small percentage of our society.
3: Someone said one time, "There's only about eight or ten of those around." They just or, or, of those in the world. They just move around a lot.
2: <laughs> I see that. <laughs> uh, they do make the king angry, and they do have to be dealt with accordingly. So, if our families or employees are angry with us, we should ask ourselves these questions. Number one, are my expectations too high or unrealistic? That's true. We got
3: we got to measure ourselves because leadership. And uh, these are self-government principles as we, have to, we have to make sure that we're right before we can expect employees to be
2: right and family to be right. The second one is this: Are my parameters broad enough to allow freedom?
3: That's right. And, and if you make them too close too tight, then there's no freedom because, because it's important for allowing an, an employee to make certain decisions for himself. You, you, they don't have to make you don't have to make every decision for him. You should just say, this is what I want done. this is the time I want to get it done. and there's different ways of doing it like I used, to, I used to work real fast and time myself and beat the clock. And so I'd take a five-minute break when nobody else was taking a break. And, and when the boss told me, why aren't you working? I said, I've met my goal. It's what you said. And he was happy with me. I mean, so I laughed about it, you know, and it was work. it's okay.
2: The third is this. Is my attitude right in administering these parameters? As a leader,
3: that's very critical. I mean, you have to make sure that you are administrating them right with the right attitude.
2: If these are all done correctly... There should be very little trespassing. But then we may have a few rebels that not only trespass, but transgress, and they do make the king angry. So there's a difference between transgressing a policy or trespassing.
3: That's right. Transgressing means means that that you just willfully do it. Uh, Trespassing means that that you may not be aware that you're trespassing. Trespassing means that you're encroaching on something else and may not be fully aware of it.
2: But let's do our part by setting clear expectations and parameters, or people may claim we are unfair.
3: That's right, and I believe that if we do it right, people will think that you're fair. And that's that's that's, a, that's a really a credibility thing. If a person tells them, you know, I know John and I know on I know they're fair people. Even if if you're accused of being wrong, they'll defend you. They say, well, I don't know. I, I I believe that they're fair people.
2: John, in setting parameters, there's micromanaging, which means you can really set too many as well and then kind of choke that person
3: that's why it's in here that it says that uh, setting p- parameters within the framework of freedom which means that they're not that tight they're they they're broad perspectives out here and management middle management and employees can say that John just wants the job to get done within this frame time work of uh, time t- timetable and so so they have a right to make a few adjustments and do certain things which means that gives them freedom you know that uh, If you make them too close and too narrow, then that becomes too much like a driven slave. Looking over somebody's back all the time and watching him drives the person nuts, and you won't keep an employee that way.
2: The self-government principle of parameters. A king rejoices in servants who know what they are doing, and he is angry with those who cause trouble. Proverbs 14, verse 35. Boy, John, what closing comments do you have for this one?
3: Uh, This is really, really... uh... Uh, an important principle for life, uh, for business, uh, government, and anything. Uh, Because I personally believe that if people establish the right borders, uh, it's almost like when you walk through a field or something, a woods and stuff like that, and you see a sign that says no trespassing, which means that if the sign wasn't there, you could trespass against somebody's will and not know it. But if the sign is there, which means it has established borders, and that's the way life is. Life is, we have to let people know what the parameters are in business, in government, or what it is. And uh, uh, I just believe this a, as a person, you should project to people uh, who you are, what you are, and why you are what you are. And when you do that, people normally will not, not uh, uh, cross the borders of they will not infringe in wh- who you are. They'll respect it. Uh, and I think that's very critical. Any, any, if, if you're going to play in the game of life, you have to establish parameters. Just, you just have to. You have to have a vision and you have to have a plan and goals, but then you have to establish policy so that this becomes the guidelines so people don't trespass. And if you do it right in business or whatever you are with your employees, so if you do it right, people will become self-governed because they know where the parameters are, and then they'll govern themselves within that. Jeff Bissett and Transformational Radio is a great way to start your day.
0: Make me broken so I can be healed cause I'm so callous and now I can't feel Wanna run to you with heart wide open, make me broken, make me empty so I can be. And it's hard to find the truth in all the lies
4: Devotion
5: today's scripture reading begins in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed— Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father.
4: Webster defines gift as something given to show friendship, affection, support. Using this definition, it seems logical to give gifts only to people we love, not to those who hurt or abuse us. Yet scripture clearly tells believers to offer one of the greatest possible gifts, forgiveness, to those who mistreat us. To forgive means to give up all claims to punish or exact a penalty for an offense. No strings or conditions can be attached, or else it ceases to be a pardon. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 expand on this by contrasting the gift of salvation with works. Neither salvation nor forgiveness can be earned. Both must be freely given. God granted us forgiveness, which we did not deserve and could not earn. And in much the same way, we are to release every offender from any form of penalty. Unforgiveness is emotional bondage that consumes minds with memories of offenses, distorts emotions with revenge, and fills hearts with churning unrest. Its tentacles reach deep into the soul, affecting both spiritual and physical health. But the one who chooses to love and offer forgiveness is ready to receive the peace of Christ. Let God's Word help you release hurt and anger into His caring hands. Then watch as vengeful thoughts are transformed into praise and gratitude to the Lord. Thankfully, the gift of pardon is not something we have to manufacture in ourselves. This present is wrapped in the love of God and tied with the red ribbon of Christ's sacrifice. It's freely given to us by the Savior and our responsibility is simply to pass it on to others.
0: Me, I feel your heart beating next to me, and it's telling me it's all gonna be okay. 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 It's all gonna be okay see your face wanna see who I can be wanna see what you can see in the mirror of your eyes but I wanna see your face wanna see who I can be wanna see who I can see in the mirror of your eyes and you're telling me it's all gonna be okay it's all gonna be okay gonna be okay. It's all gonna be okay. It's all gonna be okay. all gonna be okay. It's all all gonna be We're gonna go right now Let's go I don't have to wait to go to heaven When I song could I sing That would move the heart of royalty When all that I have Is this life that you've given me So Lord let me live for you My song with humility And Lord, as the love song of my life is played, I have one desire to bring glory to your name, to my audience of one. You are Father and you are Son, as your spirit flows free find within me a heart that beats to praise you. And now just to know you more has become my great reward to see your kingdom come and your Our son, as your spirit flows free, let it find within me a heart that beats to praise you. And now just to know you more has become my way.
2: Thanks for listening.
0: Make sure to tune in tomorrow for the next edition of Transformation Radio.